or being afraid. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about gleanings from Isaiah. I'm in Isaiah again. Uh, I love the book of Isaiah. It's, it's full of warnings and judgments, but also it's full of blessings. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 1 this morning, uh, this evening. I did it again. Isaiah chapter 1. And I want us to think about, first of all, God's emotions. How does God feel when he looks on the world and sees what he sees? Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. He's talking about Israel here, folks. From the time of, of taking his children out of Egypt, all through the wilderness, all through Canaan, all through the time of the judges, all through the history of Israel, all you see, not all you see, but most of the things you see are people turning their back. Can you imagine throwing your children into the fire of a, of a false god? That's what they did. That's just one of the things they did. They worked, Isaiah talks about worshiping the queen of heaven. That would be Ashtaroth, the queen of heaven. Well, guess what? She's not the queen of heaven. And God put up with that. The Bible says in the times of man's ignorance, God winked at. That means he overlooked it. He didn't overlook it to the point where it's not going to be judged in the future, but he overlooked it for the time being. He gave them a very long time and very, very many chances to turn and repent and come back to him. And every time they did, he forgave them. Look what he says in verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people doth not consider. Sounds like God thinks an ox and an ass are smarter than, than the Jews were. The ox knows who his, who his owner is, and the ass knows where his master's crib is or where he eats. Sometimes they think animals are smarter than people. That's what God thinks. And then verse 4, he says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They are gone away backward. Now, people, unbelievers read that verse, and a lot of people look at God as a vindicating, judgeful, hateful God who can't wait to pass judgment upon us. But if you look at the history in the books, in the books of the Bible, you don't see that. You see a long-suffering, patient, wonderful, loving God who is always willing to forgive, always willing to let people come back to him. And yet, people today, they see God in a different way. How many times have you heard people refer to him as the old man upstairs? That's blasphemy. He's not the old man upstairs. He's the glorious God of creation. Listen to the, the frustration in, in God's voice here. Why, verse 5, why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. 
Does that sound like God's getting a little bit frustrated with Israel? Yes, he was frustrated. He was always ready to forgive, but he was frustrated. Eventually, what happened to the northern ten tribes and what happened to the, the southern uh, Ju uh, uh, Judah, they were, they were taken into captivity. The ten tribes into Assyria and Judah into Babylon to teach them a lesson. But it took a very long time, probably close to a thousand years before God finally did pass judgment upon deserving Israel. How many times did they turn their back on God? I tried to, I think I mentioned this before, I tried to look that up on Google. I couldn't find it. I guess you'd, if you went through your Bible and just put it, just check down how many times that you see Israel turning their back on God and then coming back and him forgiving them. It'd be hundreds of times probably. But it was not only Israel. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw, and I mentioned this verse before. This verse really touches my heart as far as wondering how God felt. Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, and that, get this, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's at the time of, of Noah, when there could have been millions of people on the earth at that time. It was over 1,600 years between the time of creation to the time of the flood. And, 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 and men and women lived a long time, and the Bible says that they had sons and daughters, and there could have been millions, maybe even billions. Uh, some people think there were a billion people on the earth at that time. We don't know for sure, but there were a lot. And only eight, only eight out of the millions. I hate to keep harping on Calvinism, but I can't help it. Calvinists say that God chooses who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. Do you really think that God chose only eight people out of the millions of people that were on the earth to be saved? I don't. How many times did God chasten them and then forgive them? An innumerable number of times. And yet, did God ever totally abandon Israel? You know, there are churches today that teach that God has abandoned Israel. And their theme is, the church is Israel now. How many remember Pastor Enio Kujini? He died a long time ago. He had a church in um, North Situate. And that, that was his theme. That's what he taught. That's what he believed. There are churches, I, I don't know which congregation it is, I think it's probably not a Baptist or a, a, a I think it's just like a a, 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 a a general church. And they say all the promises of Israel have been transferred away from Israel and to the church. And God is done with Israel. Is God done with Israel? No. Isaiah 41, 8 to 10 says, or 8 and 9 says, But thou, Israel, art my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant. I have chosen thee. And look what it says. And not cast thee away. Israel was in a sad state of affairs. They are still today in a sad state of affairs. Most people in Israel don't, you know, except for the saved, don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. And yet God is still protecting them. They're surrounded by their enemies right now, all the way around them. And they're still, God is protecting them. So God did not and will not and will never abandon Israel. But how can we apply this to our own selves? Do we ever fail God and sin against him? I can't think of a better, other than Jesus himself, I can't think of a better person or a better Christian in the Bible than Paul the Apostle. And yet, look what Paul says about himself. Matter of fact, go there. Romans, Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 19 through 25. These are a little bit hard to read these because of the, because of the grammar, but I'll do my best to get the point across. Romans chapter 7, verses 19, 19 through 25 says, this is Paul speaking, verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Wow. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight after the law of God, in the law of God, after the inward man. That's the spirit of being born again, and that's the Holy Spirit. He delights in the spirit of the new birth, and he delights in the Holy Spirit that is within him. He says, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That's the sin nature. Paul says, I love the fact that I'm born again. And I love the fact that the Spirit of God is dwelling within me. But I also see within me a sin nature. That the things that I would want to do to please God, I don't do it. And the things that I do not want to do that would displease God, that's what I do. Now, if Paul can say that, I certainly can say that about myself. You could say that about yourself, too. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law, serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Did I say something backwards? You're smiling at me. Did I say something wrong? Oh, okay. Paul had that problem. Paul, the great apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, he had that problem. So if Paul could say that about himself, I'm certainly sure that we could say that about ourselves. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants who obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You notice something in that verse? There's a choice there. It's not forced upon us. God does not force us to obey him. God gives us the free will to obey him, but not just the free will. He gives us everything we need to overcome sin and to follow him and to obey him to love him and to serve him. 
Everything is there. We have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. We have everything we need to live right and to do right. And if we follow the wrong guy, which is the sin nature, then we're going to do wrong. So I ask you, is it possible for us to grieve God? I, I mentioned this before in another, in another message. It is possible for us to grieve God. Ephesians 4.26 to 30 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Have you ever let the sun go down upon your wrath? Do you ever hold on to, to something that somebody said or did to you and not let it go? Do you, ever, do you ever hold grudges on people? Do you ever say, when somebody says, I'm sorry I did that, and you say, yeah, well, you did that two weeks ago, too. What about then? <laughs> That's the way we are. We hold grudges. But God said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't stay angry overnight. Guess what? It doesn't help. But as a matter of fact, it hurts your health to stay angry. In verse 27, it says, Neither give place to the devil. In other words, avoid, avoid places and things and people who will lead you the wrong direction. This is not just talking about the devil, folks. People have friends. You all have friends. You all have acquaintances. You all have family. And they can lead you to doing the wrong thing. He said in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. That means don't take a pen home from work. That's stealing. <laughs> Nancy got mad the other, the, a few weeks ago when somebody was talking about, uh, do you ever go to the store and, and, and take a grape? taste it, see if it's okay. That's stealing. I don't know if that's stealing or not. Because you're going to buy the whole thing anyway, right? But anyway, that just made me think of that. She's probably listening to me right now and saying, what would you say that for? I'll get it when I get home. You'll see. Let him that, sto that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Isn't that what we do with the food pantry? Does God want us to earn money just to hold it for ourselves and to keep it for ourselves? What does God want? You know, in the Old Testament, so many times, some of the things that God accused Israel of doing was, was not taking care of the poor, taking advantage of the poor. God doesn't want us to take advantage of the poor. Sometimes God gives you a blessing so that you can give somebody else a blessing. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Wow, that's a toughie. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying means to build up, to build up somebody. Don't go up to somebody and, and, and tell them all about the negative things that they're doing wrong. Say, God can give you victory over that, but trust God and have faith, and I think you can, I think you can have victory. That's edifying. That's building somebody up that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Do you want to minister grace to those that you love, to those that are around you? 
that don't let corrupt communication. That's not talking about just cursing. That's any kind of any kind of communication that would hurt somebody else, that would put them down. God wants you to edify them. And verse thirty, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can make Him sad. We can make God sad. We can give God sorrow. But Paul said, don't do that because you're not going to profit by it. So now what happens when we do that? What happens when a Christian sins? What happens when a Christian falls out of fellowship with God? Will we ever lose our salvation? Now, I know you all know you, you can't lose your salvation, but I'm going to give you some verse, a verse anyway. Because this is one of the greatest verses I know of. There's, there's another one that's good in Romans chapter 8, but I love this verse. Turn over to John chapter 10. I want you to read this with me. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus is speaking, and he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give unto them temporary life. Is that what it says? I give unto them partial life. Is that what it says? No. It says, I give unto them eternal life, and they may not ever, they may not perish. Is that what it says? No. It says, I give unto them eternal life, that they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That means the devil, folks, can't take you out of God's hand. That means an enemy or somebody that hates God can't take you out of God's hand. People try to do that. You can't even take yourself out of God's hand. That's any man. That's including you. I don't know why you would want to do that, but nobody can take you out of my hand. And he says, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are equal. I and my Father are God. If God's holding you in, in his hand, nobody's going to take you away. So you don't have to worry about falling into sin and, and failing God about losing your salvation. You're never going to lose your salvation. So what happens when we fall out of fellowship? What happens when we sin? I, I, I answered the question. What happens when we sin against God after we're saved, when we fail, when we do something wrong? We can fall out of fellowship with God. We can't fall out of our salvation, but we can fall out of fellowship with God. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That word regard means to approve to experience, to continue. That doesn't mean if you sin, the first time you sin, God says, all right, that's it, I'm not going to listen to you anymore for the rest of the day. No. It's talking about a continuing experience of sin and, and totally turning your back on God. He says, I will not hear you. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the, I love this verse, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, 
neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You can be out of fellowship with God. God will not use someone that's out of fellowship with him. You may think you're being used by God, but you could do more if you're in full fellowship with God. So yes, I mean, no, we cannot lose our salvation. Yes, we sin after we're saved. No, we cannot lose our salvation. Yes, we can fall out of fellowship with God. And, and our, prayer, our, our prayer problems, our prayer life can be hindered when we fall out of fellowship with God. So how do we get back in fellowship with God? I mean, is that the end of the line, folks? Get out of fellowship with God? Is that the end of the line, or can we get back in? Go back to Israel. How many times did God accept Israel back in into fellowship with him after they repented and turned back to him? You think it's more than 490 times, like what Jesus said? No, that 490 is a, is a metaphor for Implying infinitely. There's no end to it. So how do we get back in fellowship with God? First John 1 John 1.9. Now this is very, you've all heard this verse a hundred times. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John wrote this to Christians. John did not write this to unbelievers. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about falling into sin or failing God after we are saved. And he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does pastor always say? Keep short accounts. When we fail, when we sin against God, don't hide them in your pocket and, 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 and save them up for the time in the future. Then say, okay, this is what I did, Lord. Ta-da! Now, can you forgive me? No. Immediately, as soon as you do something wrong and you can't, believe me, when you do something wrong, you're going to know it because the Holy Spirit within you is going to tell you, don't do that. You shouldn't have done that. Right. You need to ask forgiveness for that. And guess what? When you ask forgiveness, he forgives you. How many times? Forever. doesn't matter how many times. You know, God doesn't want you to, 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 to just say, oh, well, okay, I'll do this, then I'll ask God's forgiveness, then I'll do it again tomorrow, then I'll ask God's forgiveness, then I'll do it again the next day. You can't, you can't fool God. God knows your heart. But when you, when you earnestly make a mistake and earnestly come back to God and say, you know, I've done that before, but I'm so sorry. Please, please, and the key is, please help me to get victory over that. It's not, forgive me again tomorrow when I do it, and forgive me again the next day when I do it. It's, please give me victory over that. And he will. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid places of temptation. Remember the story that Pastor told? I'm going to repeat it. Try to get it as best I can. Uh, if I get it wrong, Pastor, you can correct me when I get back. But 
there was a man who was a drunk, an alcoholic. And he used to stop at the same bar every night before he, before he got home and, eat, and, and have a drink. Well, one day, somehow, either somebody gave him a track or something happened in his life, and he got saved. And so, shortly after he got saved, he came home, and his wife said to him, what took you so long? You usually get home in about 15 minutes. Why did it take you so long? He said, because I had to go around the bar to avoid the temptation of the alcohol. That's the idea here. People have different types of shortcomings and temptations and problems. You know your shortcomings. You know your weaknesses. Everybody knows their weaknesses. So what do you do? Avoid them. Timothy, uh, Paul said to Timothy, flee also youthful lust. Stay away from those things that you know are going to cause a temptation in your life. No matter what it is, flee it. Stay away from it. Avoid places of temptation and God will help you. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about how great God is. You know, we, we just talked about how we have made God sad, how Israel has made God sad, how we can make God sad, and how God is always ready to forgive. But Isaiah, I'm going to go there. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 40. This is a tremendous portion of Scripture. Now, this is God talking about himself. You know, I don't like braggarts. I don't like people that brag about themselves. But God has the right to brag about himself. He's not really bragging about himself. He's, he's telling us about himself in this portion. And everything he says here is true, and then some. Isaiah chapter 40, and we start with verse 25. He says, To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be, or shall I be equal with, saith the Lord? In other words, who is equal to me? God. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created all things that bringeth out their host by number, and calleth them by names, calleth them, calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, that he is strong, and his power faileth not. God's got a name for all the stars. God knows them all by name. Let me ask you a question. He says here, for that he is, is strong, in power, and not one faileth. Has the sun ever failed to rise in the morning? Has the sun ever failed to set, to set at night? Who, who causes that to happen? Now, I know it's not the sun really going up and down. I know it's the rotation of the earth, and, that, and that's true. But who, who causes that? Take a, let me take a minute about this. The Big Bang Theory says that there was a tremendous explosion four billion years ago, and everything came out from that. Now, how if 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 you ever see have you ever seen an explosion when something explodes and blows up? 
Does it go boom and then circle around, circle around the star and keep circling at the same, same speed for thousands of years? Can an explosion cause the Earth to rotate around the sun every year, 365 days a year, and rotate on its axis every 24 hours? Can, that be, can an explosion cause that to happen? And that's just the Earth. The planets do the same thing. And there's, th there's probably billions of stars out there, and some of them have planets going around them. By the way, there's no people on them. There's only people here. Don't let anybody tell you there are aliens. Don't ever tell you anybody that, you know, there's a lot of movies out there about aliens coming in, and they're always so ugly, and they're always stronger than we are, but we always beat them. Isn't that crazy? There are no aliens. I don't care what Cedar says. There's no aliens out there. The, the universe is under the control of God and nothing will fail. It stays the same. Verse 27, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? That's people who think, I'm going to do something that God's not going to see it. That's why I do my bad stuff at night, because at night it's dark and nobody can see me. Well, guess what, folks? God sees everything. But, but here's, the, here's the sad thing about that. The things that God sees on the earth makes him sad. Can you imagine? Think about all the crime. Think about all the murders. Think about all the wars, all the rapes, all the stealing, all the bad things that have happened. God sees it all. And it was not God's plan for that to happen. God doesn't decree that so-and-so kill so-and-so. So-and-so killed so-and-so because so-and-so decided to kill so-and-so, not because God said you're going to do it. If I stub my toe tomorrow morning, it's not because God said you're going to stub your toe tomorrow morning. Here I go on Calvinism again. God sees it all. Verse 28, Has thou not known... Has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faileth not? Can God fail? God can never fail. Neither is weary. Does God ever get tired? You know, when God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. It was because he was finished. He created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. But that word rest means to be finished. It doesn't mean, ah, oh, ah, oh, six days it took me to create the universe, to create the world. I'm tired, man. i got to sit down and rest. No. God's never weary. God is always strong. And it says, oh, after that it says, there is no searching of his understanding. God is so far above us. Sometimes I sit and try to try to imagine God. It's easy to imagine a being that lives forever into the future. But try to imagine a being, a being that is forever in the past. God had no beginning. Who created God? Nobody. Did God create himself? No. 
There was, there was no, there was no beginning to God. And there's no end to God. And there's no time limits with God. You know, he's in a different dimension, so to speak. He's not limited by the dimension of time. We're limited by the dimension of time. He lives in, he, he sees, <laughs> imagine this, he sees everything as it's, as, ha as it's happening right now. He sees everything that happened from the creation, everything that's going to happen until the end. He sees it all like it's happening right now to him. There's no time limits. Try to understand that. I can't. That's why when I get to heaven, I'm not going to look for the streets of gold. I'm not going to look for my friends. I'm not going to look for anybody. I want to see God. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the Holy Spirit. I want to see him. What does he look like? What's he like? Am I going to have to pick a number so I can wait my turn to have fellowship with him? No. We'll have fellowship with him continually, forever. You don't have to pick a number. You don't have to wait your turn. You're with Jesus. I don't know how he's going to do it. It's beyond my, my like they say in Scotland, it's beyond my ken. He giveth, verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Do you ever feel weak spiritually or even physically? Do you ever feel tired, sore, in pain, sorrowful, bad things happen? He said, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. You can go to God when you feel weak, when you feel lonely, when you feel tired, when you're in pain, when you feel like there's, no, there's nobody else I can turn to, you can always turn to God. And he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Did you ever see a guy run a 100-mile marathon without stopping? I've seen him run, what is it, 23 point something miles in a marathon. How many miles in a marathon? Whatever it is. Yeah, they do it. But I've never seen anybody run 100 miles without stopping and not getting tired. The Bible says even the youth shall faint. No matter how old or no matter how strong you are, you're going to faint and get weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But here's the verse for you. But they, this is a song, too. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because we have a supporter. Uh, pastor tells a story about the footprints, but he doesn't quite tell it right. The story behind, you ever see the picture of the footprints? There's two sets of footprints, and then sometimes there's one set, and there's two sets, and then there's one set. Well, the story behind that, I'm, I'm sorry if I, if I misquote you, but the story behind that is a person gets to heaven and talks to Jesus, and he looks back, and he sees the footprints, and he says, I see two sets of footprints, and then I see one set, and then I see two, and then I see one. Why did you leave me when I was having trouble? When, it, when there was just one set of footprints. And Jesus said, 
Son, I didn't leave you. It was during that time that I was carrying you, that I was supporting you, that I was with you. The footprints are with you. There's a song, Footprints of Jesus, right? Isn't there a song by that name? Footprints of Jesus that make this glory known. We will walk in the steps of Jesus everywhere we go. Footprints of Jesus. He carries us. So I ask you a question. Why should we fear? Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Remember that hat that used to wear, that guys used to wear, it said no fear on it? No fear. Well, I was in the store once, and I, and I saw a hat that said, Fear not. Isaiah, Isaiah 41.10. And I had it on one day at, at the beach, and I took it off for some reason, put it down, and I lost it. I never got it back. But that's it. Those that think, no fear. Let him stand before an angel for one second, and he'll see fear. Let him stand before the devil for one second, and he'll see fear. Let him stand before God, and he'll disappear. Yep. So why should we fear? We have God with us. I'm going to take a, a gleaning from Psalms right now. Psalm 91.4 said, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. You know the song, Under His Wings? Sing that with me. Under his wings... Under his wings, who from the Lord shall sever? Under his wings, we will safely abide, safely abide forever. Under his wings. But with that thought, there's also a warning. Remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem? And as he was approaching Jerusalem, he looked at Jerusalem and he said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, can you feel the, the emotion in his voice? Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. So here's the question, folks. Do you want to be under his wings? Those people that are here, people that are on social media, do you want to be under his wings? If you're not under his wings, it's because you would not. It's because you reject him. It's because you don't believe. If you want to be under the protective wings of the Savior and your soul to be saved, then you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't say, I don't believe it. Don't say, ah, it's only the, this is only the words of a man or several men. This is the word of God. Right. And the word of God says, under his wings you will safely abide, safely abide forever. So if you're not under his wings, it's because you choose not to be, and you can't blame God. He has given you everything that you need to be under his wings. 
but the choice is yours to either receive it or reject it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the things that we have heard tonight stir our hearts, Father, and make us happy. And even though sometimes we grieve you, we know that you're always ready to forgive us when we repent. Help us, Father, to be careful how we live our lives. Help us, Father, to live to serve you and to follow your, your desire for our lives. And we'll love you forever in Jesus' name.